1: Liberty I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, indivisible with, liberty with liberty and justice for all. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots, welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chrisanne Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. I want to welcome you to the show today. I have a very special edition of the Chrisanne Hall Daily Journal. I was honored to be a guest on Free Talk Live, a, a, a really, really great online interview program where I was interviewed about Liberty First University, the kind of things that we teach and the the constitutional training that we offer in relationship to questions on current events. So the host uh, actually asked me current event questions and and I taught them based on the knowledge and the education that we give at libertyfirstuniversity.com. So I wanted to share with you here on the Daily Journal clips from that interview. And so the rest of the show is going to be clips of that interview from the Free Talk Live uh, interview on the current events and Constitution. I really hope that you enjoy them.
0: So first of all, thank you for all the attendees um, who've already shown up for this webinar. This webinar tonight is hosted by Free Talk Live for Liberty First University. Uh, liberty First University is a unique education in the history and the application of the Constitution of the United States. Now, the Constitution is rooted in ideas much older than 1776. And it's the goal of Liberty First University to teach people the full history of American freedom so that you can better appreciate just how much liberty has been lost since the founding of our country. Now these <laughs> classes are perfect for individuals, groups, K-12 and college classrooms, churches and anywhere else where people are hungry for knowledge. And now the courses are available online for everyone to use. Chris Ann Hall is the president of Liberty First University and she began her career as a biochemist, a Russian linguist for the US Army and a prosecutor for the state of Florida. Chris Ann has also practiced First Amendment law for a prominent national nonprofit law firm. So she knows what she's talking about. Chris Ann is the author of six books on the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. She also has a nationally syndicated radio show and a cable television show. Chris-Ann has been featured on C-SPAN TV and C-SPAN Book TV. Chris-Ann can connect the dots for you about the Constitution like no one else can. So Chris-Ann, I'm gonna pass this on over to you. The floor is yours.
1: Well, thank you so much. And I wanna thank Free Talk Live for having me there here. And I wanna thank everybody who has joined us. This really is the passion of my life to teach this and uh, I've been doing it now for my goodness, I guess January will be going on 10 years and traveling across America. Like you said, for the last seven years, averaging about 260 classes in over 22 States every single year, we have had the privilege of meeting so many people. I mean, I've taught classes, you know, middle school, high school students, uh, I've taught the legislators of 10 states. I have a law enforcement class that is that offers continuing education credits for law enforcement, all on the Constitution, uh, political groups, business groups. I got to actually teach a national convention of surgeons and, and uh, pediatricians, which was really cool and because they understood that the Constitution is not political. And that's something that we really have to overcome in America. This idea that the Constitution and the education on the Constitution is political. It is not. It's essential. It's who we are and it's who our government is supposed to be. And because we have this preconceived notion that the Constitution is political, you know, that, that old idiom, we can't talk about politics and religion, you know, in public company. And so we don't talk about the things that actually matter the most. As a matter of fact, America's principles of liberty built on freedom of speech and freedom of press and the right to peaceably assemble and freedom of religion, that was to encourage the American people to talk about politics and religion in public. And so the ideas that we've been sort of trained, and if you will, in some cases even brainwashed into believing we're not allowed to talk about these things are the things that keep the American people disengaged, that keep us from the true power source that we have. You know, as I've traveled across the country, I see a lot of political activism but so much of it is really misguided. I meet people who believe that they've been trained in the constitution when really in fact they haven't. Our constitution and its education, I would say the education on our constitution has been fundamentally transformed since the year 1833. We stopped teaching. Accurate education on who our government is and how our Constitution is supposed to work in 1833. So unless, you know, people out there in America have been trained before 1833, then the education that they received is tainted at best. So that's why we started traveling and teaching across America. And that's why we created Liberty First University, because Liberty First University brings to the American people an education on the constitution as if the founders themselves would be teaching it, but at at a level where the American people can understand it, right? So in a place where you try to read the Federalist Papers, the Anti-Federalist Papers, and because their style of writing and their style of language is so different than ours today, this is what we do at Liberty First University. We break these things down in such a way that everybody could understand it. I mean, we have, we have middle school kids. I teach a, a five-hour seminar on Saturdays where I have had five, six, seven-year-olds sit for the entire five and six hours just because it is so compelling. I mean, it really is a very passionate kind of education. And so we have homeschool parents all over the country that are members of Liberty First University supplementing their children's education whether they're homeschooled private schooled or public schooled everybody's starting to realize that the education on government and the education on the constitution is sorely lacking in america yeah
0: yeah and i couldn't agree more with that as a homeschooler myself i homeschool my two boys Um, even in you know more constitutionally based homeschooling systems Mm -hmm. there still seems to be a lack of 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 a really big history behind why these things happened the way they did. And that's one thing that uh, your course does. It um, actually goes through the 800 years of British legal history prior to the constitution. Can you talk about that
1: a little bit? Oh yeah, absolutely. So that is one of the courses at Liberty First University. We have, my goodness, I I don't even have count anymore. We have over 30 courses. And all of the courses are actually, uh, you stream them at your own pace. Um, the majority of them actually also have workbooks that you can download and go through it. I always tell people we're not a degree. uh, We don't give degrees like like paid universities do. We do better than the paid universities. We actually give you an education. And so what we do, this teaching that you're talking about, the history of the Constitution, is one of the first things that I think is essential for the American people to reconnect with. Number one, that our Constitution is not an invention of our founders of 1776 or 1789. It took 700 years to write our constitution. There's absolutely nothing new, nothing novel in our constitution. Everything, the product of 700 years of not just simply British law, but the struggle of the British people with their government to uh, secure the liberty of the people and limit their government. Most people don't realize the British government has a very unique kind of monarchy. It's called a limited monarchy. And that limited monarchy began in the year 1014, when the people decided that they were going to control their king. And they established an agreement with a king named Ethelred and said, look, we'll make a deal with you. We'll allow you to be our king on one condition. Your only job is to help us organize for our common defense which should sound familiar to us who have read the preamble to the constitution. Mm -hmm. And your only job is to organize us for our common defense and to negotiate with foreign kingdoms, peace, trade, war. You are to leave us alone to govern ourselves in our small communities. This right here, this Ethelred agreement of 1014 is the very foundation for our constitutional republic. When our states created the Constitution, which created the federal government, it's all built on that foundation that the purpose of the federal government is limited and defined. James Madison wrote in Federalist 45, he said, the powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. Those that remain in the states are numerous and indefinite. That's the Ethelred agreement. The entire purpose for creating the federal government was limited to the very specific enumerated powers that can be very generally described as organizing us for our common defense and foreign affairs. The entire purpose of the federal government is simply to be an ambassador on behalf of the states in foreign affairs and the limitation of power enumerated in the articles combined with the Supremacy Clause combined with the 10th Amendment tells us that the federal government's powers are external and the state's powers are internal. Mm -hmm. But we don't teach that. Right. And, and And I don't think you find that, I don't think you find that even in private school education because, like I said, the majority of our training on the Constitution has been changed since 1833. And the major point of change is the relationship between the states and the federal government. And in 1833, that was by design. There was a movement of federal supremacy that swept through America to undermine the established check and balance of the people through the states on their federal government and establish this this errant ideology that you will hear everywhere from professors and and lawyers and judges and politicians that the Supremacy Clause makes the federal government supreme to the states. That's not what the Supremacy Clause says and that's not what it does. Gotcha.
0: liberty's lobbyist chris ann hall has now taken control um it sounds like the way that you're you're talking about this that the Constitution is almost like a contract between the federal government and the, the parties, which are, are the states. Is that what, it, what you're talking about here?
1: Well, it, it is more than like a contract. It actually is a contract, but it is not a contract between the states and the federal government. And I'll explain to you why that's a temporal impossibility. The Constitution is actually a contract between the states that creates the federal government. So in contract law terms, uh, when people get together and they negotiate a contract and they sign that contract into legal being, those people are called the parties to the contract. That's, That's what you said. But for our terms, our Constitution is not actually a contract. It's a specific kind of contract called a compact. And a compact, by legal definition, is an agreement between legally sovereign governments. The only legally sovereign governments that existed in, in, uh, prior to the ratification of the Constitution were the states. And we know this through the Declaration of Independence. We know this through the creation of the states through the Lee Resolution in 1776. And we know that the states are the parties to the contract. We also know from history. We also know all, uh, from just simple logical thinking, because some people will say, well, Chrisanne, the people are the party to the constitution. Well, that's not true either. And you know that as well. We just don't connect the dots properly. Let me ask you a question, Raj. Um, was How was the constitution ratified? Was it ratified by popular vote of the people?
0: Of course not, it was ratified by the, the legislature of the states.
1: That's right, by the delegates from the states. And because it was ratified by the delegates of the states and not by popular vote, we know legally speaking, the people are not a party to the compact, the states are the party to the compact. Now, what many people may know or may not know is that there was a very precarious moment when we didn't have enough states to ratify because we had to have three quarters of the states in agreement to create the legally binding contract of the constitution. And much of the conversation prior to the ratification was, look, if we don't have the number of states to ratify, do you know what happens? The union never happens. The federal government never happens. Nothing ever happens. So we know from that fact that the federal government did not exist until the Constitution was ratified, which makes the federal government the product of the contract. You cannot be a party to the contract if you are the product of the contract, because you can't sign the contract into legal being if you do not exist until it's signed. So knowing that, using Oakham's razor, if you will, and eliminating all the possibilities, we are left with only one legal conclusion, that the states are the parties to the constitutional compact. The states created the Constitution. The Constitution created the federal government, which means the states are the creators of the federal government. And what's crazy, Raj, we don't teach this. You know why we don't teach this? Because this is the solution to all our problems in the federal government. This is the most powerful, ultimate check and balance on federal power, this understanding that the states are the creators of the federal government. James Madison actually describes it in 1800 as the greatest power on earth, the state's authority to check and balance its creation.
0: So since you're saying that the people here um, obviously did not ratify the Constitution, they were not a party of its, of its contract and its creation, how do the people fit into that? How do their rights fit into it? How do their constitutional rights fit in?
1: Okay, well, that's, uh, you've got like two questions there. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Where do the people fit in? The people right. fit in in this way. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just power from the consent of the governed. If you read the first part of the Declaration of Independence and then you read the last paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, you understand the people are the creators of the states. Through the creation of the states, the states then acted as representatives of the people in the ratification of the Constitution, understanding natural law. Samuel Adams wrote in 1772, among the natural rights of the colonists are these first life, secondly, liberty, third property, together with the right to protect and defend them in the best manner possible. Our rights are not government derived. Our rights don't come from the Constitution. That's why it's really a, a misnomer to say that we have constitutional rights. You can't learn the easy way, you'll learn the hard way. Chris Ann Hall, she's Liberty's lobbyist. The whole purpose of the constitution is to secure our rights. And so that's where the people come in. The people have the ultimate authority to create government for the securing of their rights, which means the people have the ultimate authority over their government. Now let's, let, let me explain how this works because somebody might be saying, okay, well, that's great, Chrisanne, why do we need the states? Here's the real reality. Our founders before the creation of our constitutional republic were subjects in a kingdom, which means if they had trouble with the central government, they had to stand on their front porch with their sword or their musket and battle the government alone. And they knew what that was like. They knew what it was like to try to control a federal government for them, the parliament and the king, with no community authority. The creation of our constitutional republic was to be the ultimate check and balance. So the people could have a central government that they could control and they would never have to be alone in doing it. The states are the representatives of the people in the control of the federal government. Hmm. So when the federal government leaps over its constitutional boundaries, when the federal government tries to exercise more power that's then been then has been delegated. What's interesting our founders actually anticipated this day. They wrote about it. They wrote about what happens when the federal government no longer is bound by the constitution. See a lot of one of our failings in in modern uh, ideology is that the constitution stops the federal government or controls the federal government. It does not. James Madison referred to the constitution as a parchment barrier It's a piece of paper with ink on it. The Constitution itself has no power. And if the people don't control their government, then the government has no control at all. And we can't rely on the government to check and balance itself, because then you're left with the kingdom again. So the whole purpose, the structure of the constitutional republic, where the people create the state, which is a community of the people coming together, in one accord with the securing of their rights based on common principles of that community. The, state then cre- the states then came together as their own community, a union, not a consolidation of power, but a confederation of power to create the federal government. So when the federal government, remember whose power is pr- principally upon organizing for common defense and for foreign affairs, steps outside of its boundaries and tries to infringe on the rights of the people or impose or usurp the power of the states. The people are no longer alone. They no longer have to stand on their front porch with their sword or their musket and fight the king alone. That's the state's job. But because, Raj, we have failed to teach the truth for so long about our constitution, We have been robbed of that enormous power that we have. And you know what's crazy? I know I'm right. I absolutely know that I'm right. I know that I'm hitting the nail right on the head. I know that this is in fact the power of the people because I am under constant attack by those who love big power in government. Those who want kingdoms again. See we we went through a milit- we went through a coup of our government in 1776 but we didn't change the culture completely. So since 1776 when we threw off our government we still had people in um, in the American uh, states now who wanted kingdoms, right? They want right. to be taken care of. They don't care if that means they don't get you know, power over their property. They don't care if that means they don't have power over their businesses. They wanna be taken care of, they wanna be provided for, and many of them simply want to have power to control other people. So they trade their own liberty for these these phantoms and, and fantasies because they think they're getting something out of it. But here we have a constitutional republic, not a democracy by the way, a constitutional republic where the representation of the people through their states is established for the sole purpose of securing the rights of the people, established for the sole purpose of controlling their creation, the federal government, so we don't become a kingdom again.
0: And I'm glad that you mentioned that because one of our questions from one of our attendees is what is our system of government and why do you think that so many refer to it as a democracy?
1: We are a constitutional republic. And I believe and I know that so many people refer to it as a democracy because that's what we've been teaching for, uh, you know, decades, 100 years or more. Why do we teach this? We teach this because we're not teaching it because we put government in control of education. Right. So why do the why would the government teach us error? Well, because the ultimate and most, remember, James Madison said it was the greatest power on earth to control government. What government ever existing in the history of time anywhere on this planet would voluntarily teach its people the way that it has ultimate control over the government? Obviously, it won't. So when we put government in charge of teaching us about itself, error creeps in are crept in and they started teaching us error about who they are. Number one error, the federal government is supreme. Federal laws are supreme over state laws and state constitution. That is lie number one. Mm -hmm. Lie number two, we're a democracy, why? Because democracies, which is the the general term that we use democracy today is, you know, the, the one voice, one vote, popular vote mentality, right? they teach us that because that's the greatest way to control the people because democracy is nothing more than mob mentality and history and human nature proves that if you can convince the people that they are a democracy, then those in power, all they have to do is create a crisis over here, create an, uh, an attraction over here, create a benefit over here. And you keep the mob chasing things, dividing them in separate corners, never unifying them in what is really unifying and powerful. Powerful, the one thing we all share liberty and the need to control government. You get them over here chasing this government benefit. You get them over here fighting each other over the color of their skin. You get them over here fighting each other based on geographic differences and socioeconomic differences. You divide the people through hate. You divide the people through teaching uh, that they are not the same, that they don't want to like each other. And you win this over through this tribalistic mentality of I'm on the red team and I'm on the blue team. Meanwhile, the people never understanding that they are absolutely unified in the single principle of liberty that is the single greatest threat to government that has ever existed. Wisdom and knowledge of the people in their liberty to control their government.
0: You make a great point there. You talk about how the government always tries to keep us divided and they give mm-hmm. us this benefit and, and this crisis. Juvenal said in, in AD 100 that if you give the people bread and circuses, they will never revolt. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what they're doing to us today. And the, the way you describe it there was just perfect. And it made me think of that old quote. Um, I want to go back a little bit. Uh, one of our um, listeners had a question for for you you were talking about how we don't have constitutional rights, we have these inalienable inherent rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but his question is, do those rights extend to non-US citizens? And the reason that, that uh, this strikes a chord for me is that just recently a town where, uh, 30 minutes from my original hometown, South Haven, Mississippi, um, the police shot a man there in 2017 and killed him. And uh, the city is now saying that they don't owe any money because the family is, is filing suit because he was he was an illegal immigrant, so therefore mm-hmm. he does not have constitutional rights. So, do non-U.S. citizens have constitutional rights or or inherent rights?
1: Every human being on the planet has inherent rights. The div, the problem that we have in America is distingu, distinguishing first what are what is the difference between rights and benefits, and what rights are are essential natural rights, and what rights stem from from uh, the benefits of law. So a lot of things that we refer to today as rights are simply not actually rights at all. They're either legally uh, licensed uh, benefits or benefits that are derived from the nature of citizenship. So we have to understand the distinction and the difference between a right and a benefit. A right is something that you possess, whether government exists or not, life, liberty, the right to secure your property, the right to defend those things. Everything else is, is outside, of, of, outside of that realm. Um, Samuel Adams wrote in his essay, The Rights of the American Colonists in 1772, that all laws of man must submit to these laws of nature, because the, the right to life, liberty, to property, to defending your life, your liberty, and your property, all stem from the first law of nature, a duty of self-preservation. So what we are confused about in America is what a right is. You do not have a right to health care. Okay? That is simply not a right. That is a benefit. If government can hand it out and they can ascribe to it the conditions upon receipt, it is not a right. It is a benefit. And so that's, that's really the main difference. Once the American people understand these differences, you know, we used to teach this when our founders had education, you know, and prior to the, the reformation that happened in the mid 1800s, we actually used to teach these things and people had a firm understanding of property rights, had a firm understanding of natural rights. That's all been educated out of the American psyche. We have all, and, and what's crazy is because of this lack of education, we have all but destroyed the principle of property rights in America. I wonder how many people actually realize that in America, nobody owns property anymore.
0: Mm, okay, this will be interesting.
1: Yeah, so think about it. Um, let's say, let's, let's give you the ultimate scenario, all right? You bought a piece of land, you built a house, you paid off your mortgage, you owe no bank any money on your land, okay? You failed to pay your property taxes for three years. What happens to your land? The government will seize your land for failure to pay property taxes. That single fact, because you know three years cumulative of missed property taxes is not the equivalent of the value of your real estate. So they're not actually uh, taking your property in compensation for for failure to pay taxes. What they're doing is they're evicting you from the property they feel they own because you have failed to pay the government rent. That's what tax, what property taxes establish. that no one in America owns land, we rent land from the government. Think about it even further. Can you build on your property without getting permission from government? I mean, one of the essential principles of property ownership is that you have the liberty to do with your property as you will. And its only limit is you cannot harm or control the right of another. Mm. So if you can't build on your property without getting a permit, my goodness, some people in communities can't even catch rainwater on their property without government permission. All of these are just compilations of evidence of how we don't own property anymore. And I'll tell you, without hesitation and with complete boldness, that all of these Uh, deviations, this this surrendering of our inherent natural rights and liberties are because of our failing education. Let me give you a quote from Samuel Adams. He said, no people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. But on the contrary, when the people become universally ignorant and debauched in their manners... They will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. And what's really cool is everything that we've been talking about so far is a separate course at Liberty First University. I have a separate course on property based on Samuel Adams essay on property based on D- James Madison's essay on property written in 1792. We have, an, uh, we have a class on the origins of liberty, you know, the natural rights of it, how they come not from government, but they come by the nature of, of our creation. Um, I am a Christian and I make no question about that. But I will tell you, as someone who understands liberty... You have the liberty to not believe the way I do. And even if you do not believe that my God gave you liberty, you must admit that there is a higher power that has given you right, that has given you liberty, that is not government. Because the moment anybody, whether it be God or or your higher power, is not the author of your liberty but government is the author of your liberty, then government becomes your God, government becomes your king, and government becomes your controller. Whoever hands out the liberty also can take it away.
0: That's fascinating because um, I'm, I, I'm a former uh, Christian minister many, many years ago. And um, I see that you mentioned that even unpopular speech uh, must mm-hmm. be protected. and you know, whether that's, you know, unpopular Christian speech or unpopular Mm -hmm. atheist speech or you know, whatever, Antifa speech or whatever that speech may be. You say that that speech must also be protected if we're going to have a true right to freedom of speech.
1: Well, absolutely, because the goal of society should be the acquisition of truth. And you cannot discern a lie from the truth if you prohibit certain speech. Popular speech needs no protection. We don't need to keep the government uh, from controlling popular speech because it's popular and government works on popular opinion. We need to prevent the government from, from controlling unpopular speech. I mean, think about it. Uh, at one point in time, the entire an entire society believed that the sun orbited the Earth, which was called heliocentrism. Galileo said, no, 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 that's not true. We actually orbit the sun. And he was condemned legally by the government for making that challenge of truth. Thank you so much for joining us for this very special episode. I really hope that you enjoyed the interview from Free Talk Live. Remember, all of this education is found at LibertyFirstUniversity.com. Libertyfirstuniversity.com see we just don't want to bring you facts We just don't want to speak to you we want to disciple you at the same time and this kind of education that we offer at Libertyfirstuniversity.com I promise you cannot be found anywhere else So if you enjoyed the program, please share this remember we're on YouTube as well so share it on YouTube if you enjoyed the education if you think your family your co-workers your your friends need this education, share this, give a gift subscription for Christmas. Remember, here's my challenge to our constitutionalist business owners. Use this as training for your employees because we must become an educated, knowledgeable people. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I hope that you've enjoyed having this or uh, viewing this interview as much as I did. God bless you. See you next time.